I'd like to turn to the Old Testament first of all and then return to 1 Timothy. So Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy 24 at verse 17. Looking at tonight at God's word concerning Timothy, Timothy's care for older and younger saints and then commands about caring for widows. And I'd like to read these last, this last portion of Deuteronomy 24. Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law, so the name means. And Moses is bringing God's word to bear before God's people enter into the promised land. He's proclaiming God's laws and how they're going to live in this land. And in Deuteronomy 24, 17, we, hear, we read this in God's word. You shall not pervert justice, do the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore I command you to do this thing. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And you shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. If you turn then to the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 5, as we return to our study in this pastoral epistle. We want to read the first eight verses that we consider as our sermon text this evening. 1 Timothy 5 at verse 1, the Lord writes, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. Honor widows who are really widows, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. These things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. God's word. Let's ask for his blessing. O Lord, our God, your law is perfect, converting the soul. Your testimony is sure, making wise the simple. We pray, Heavenly Father, you'd open our eyes to see wondrous things in your holy law. We pray for hearts that are convicted. We pray for grace to receive with meekness the word implanted and to be not just hearers, but doers of your word. 
So grant us, we pray, the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray this. Amen. Well, people of God, as we come to this text, it might be helpful to recall that we live in a loveless world. Paul is going to write in his next letter to Timothy that we live in perilous days in which people in the last days will be lovers of themselves, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unloving, brutal, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We live in a broken and a cruel world. We see horrific things, don't we? We see children who haven't talked to their parents for 30 years. I've met parents describing those griefs. We see all kinds of abuse in our world, all kinds of neglect, all kinds of hostility. We're made mindful that humans don't naturally honor each other, left to ourselves. We're lovers of pleasure. We're brutal. We're cruel. We're... You know, we can be thankful tonight, of course, that God restrains sin in so many places so that we do see what we might call natural bonds of affection still in places, right? In place in many places. We, we see, even among the unregenerate unbelievers, we, we find children who are taking good care of parents. We find parents who are loving their children and caring for them. We, we do see things like that because God restrains sin. Things are not as bad as they could be. But there's only one place where humans are actually being repaired and restored and renewed to be like our God, and that's the church, right? It's we born again who, who are being shaped now and molded by the Spirit to reflect the character of our Father in heaven. And that's important to see tonight that the church is the new humanity. We are a new family. God is our Father and Christ is our brother. And what our text is, is calling for tonight is that in the church, the very character of our God should affect the relationships among God's people. Our God is not brutal. Our God is not unloving. And we are to be shaped now by our God, his love poured out among us. And so Timothy's being called to certain things here and called to teach certain things. But I think they could all be put under the heading of learning to love and honor each other as the family of God. Consider three things tonight. First of all, there's instruction here about ministering to all, how we're to relate, how Timothy's to relate to all those in the church. And then there's a summons to care for widows in the church. And then there's a calling to, to recognize the role of the family, the family bond to care for aging parents. Well, first of all, Timothy's called to minister to all in verses 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. And so Paul is instructing Timothy. Remember, Timothy is a younger pastor. Don't let anybody despise your youth, he says. He's not perhaps super young, not in his 20s, but probably in his 30s, maybe approaching 40. And yet there's, there's a view in which Timothy is younger 
younger than many. And Paul is saying to Timothy, look, you minister among a diverse group. There's men and there's women, there's older, there's younger. And you recognize that Timothy's called to be a pastor to them all, to exhort all of them. And he has to be careful that he deals with the saints as the family of God. He shouldn't fall into the trap of looking down upon or belittling or despising or feeling like he's in competition with people or taking advantage. He's to minister in a way appropriate for God's family. And what he says here is instructive not just for Timothy and not just for office bearers, but for all of us in the church as we contemplate the differing relationships we have. We are to pray and work to see each other equally as sons and daughters of God. We're to, to put on this mindset to see each other in the, the lens of love, to look upon each other as brothers and sisters for whom Christ gave his life, to look upon each other as those born again by the Spirit and being shaped for an eternity of glory. The saints are the dearly loved people of God. Remember Thursday night, if you were here, we in reading Hebrews, noted that that Christ said he's not ashamed to call them brethren because he's one with them. He who sanctifies and we who are being sanctified, we're one with Christ. He's not ashamed to own us as his brothers and sisters. We're to have that same attitude in the household of God. And when he identifies various groups here in the church, older and younger, men and women, he, he reminds, doesn't he? He reminds to me that there's various circumstances in God's household. There's various stages of life. But all need the pastoral care. All need the word of God. All need the shepherding of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone has their struggles. Everyone has their temptations. Everyone needs the ministry of Christ Jesus through his word. And so the text begins by saying, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Don't rebuke him. Do exhort him. In fact, it seems that that Paul's speaking here especially of the need for correction in the church for all these groups. And Paul isn't saying here that an older man is never to be corrected. Once in a while you meet somebody who laughs, you know, I'm, I'm so old they say I can say whatever I want. I'm so old I can do whatever I want. Well, not in the church of Christ. We're all under the discipline of the word. You never graduate from the school of Christ Jesus. You can be 95 years old and you still are being corrected by the word of God. No one gets a pass. But Paul urges Timothy not to rebuke an older man, but to exhort him as a father. The word rebuke, maybe it's a little confusing because Paul actually does, in 2 Timothy 4, command Timothy to convince and rebuke and exhort. And so everybody's to be rebuked if necessary. There's a righteous rebuke. But the word he uses here, it's only used here in the New Testament. It actually has the, the connotation of, of sharpness or severity. It means to strike at, to censure someone angrily. And Timothy's not to do that, not to give a tongue lashing to an older man or to an older woman in the church. It's inappropriate. Older saints are deserving of honor and respect. They're not to be scolded or demeaned, but to be exhorted. And the word for exhort means to call beside. Somebody could be called beside to to encourage them, to comfort them, or to urge an appeal that they would turn from from sin. Timothy's to exhort an older man as a father, honoring him. 
In Leviticus 19, verse 32, God says, You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God, I am the Lord. God has established a certain order in society, hasn't he? It's, it's not well preserved in our society. They say in different places and some Asian cultures and so forth, there's a, a, a much greater sense of the dignity and the honor that's, that's due to the aged. But, but God says the gray head should not be ignored or disgraced, but recognized and respected. Proverbs 20, verse 29, the glory of young men is their strength, and the splendor of old men is their gray hair, gray head. So we live in a culture that idolizes youth. And so we have to work to remember what God says and to, to teach the children and the next generations. There's no place for snapping at or reprimanding the older. Some of you have had the occasion to care for aging parents and you, you learn those things. They're to be dealt with in loving honor, recognizing the glory of the crown God has put upon them with gentleness, with moderation. As you deal with your father, as you would appeal to him, Timothy, so treat all the older men in the church that way with a gracious humility and love and tenderness. And then he says of younger men, of younger men, treat them as brothers. Don't demean them or despise them or look down on them, but but count them your equals. Have an affectionate bond for them. Want the best for them. Pull them along, Timothy. Don't rebuke them in a way that would humiliate them. Recognize that you're one with them. There are, for the young, certain weaknesses and temptations and troubles, but also immense opportunities for growth and for service. Sometimes when we get older, we look down on the young because now well, we're past all those all those, all those youthful, foolish, inexperienced thoughts or trials. And we, we forget we've passed through it. And we have to remember, Jesus Christ died for young men too. Their troubles matter to Jesus. Their sins matter to Jesus. Their spiritual growth matters to Jesus. Don't rebuke the young men, but exhort them as brothers. And then the apostle speaks of women and makes clear that, that women are worthy of no less respect. Older women are not to be severely scolded, but exhorted as mothers, as mothers. The passing of, of years does not diminish the worth in God's sight of the older women in God's church. In fact, they deserve extra respect. As Proverbs 23, verse 22 puts it, and do not despise your mother when she is old. William Hendrickson writes, To correct one's own mother surely requires deep humility, genuine searching of heart, wrestling at the throne of grace, wisdom. That's how Timothy is to approach an older woman who maybe needs to be corrected. John Cook's little commentary, which is very helpful, says of older women they should be encouraged particularly to continue in the distinct contributions they make in the life of the congregation and within the family. Think of Romans 16 that we looked at some weeks ago. Remember where Paul is, is, uh, is bringing, wanting 
people to be greeted, many of them, but there was a whole bunch of women in the list, and we went through those. And in that list in Romans 16, he, he sends greetings to Rufus's mother, saying that she's also been a mother to me as well. So grateful for her care, and he, he, he wants to honor that. Well, then Paul tells Timothy here in our text to exhort younger women as sisters with all purity. He's to look at all the younger women in the church as his own sisters, Lord, to want their best, to desire that they would grow up in Christ, be strong in him. He's to deal with them in all purity, which, which is not limited to sexual purity, but it certainly includes that. Absolute purity, both in what he does and in the impression he gives to those who watch. And if this verse was heeded, of course, a world of sorrows and shame would be in many ways absent from the church today. Office bearers are to guard themselves, guard their reputations, the way they deal, not even giving the appearance of evil. And there's a reminder here, I think, for all the men in the church to deal with with the women as sisters in the Lord. First Thessalonians 4, Paul says, don't, don't live in passion of lust like the Gentiles. And don't defraud another because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we warned you. God keeps jealous watch over his daughters. Timothy's to remember that. With all purity, with all honor, with all humility to minister to the younger women too. And so you see what's being said here. In a way, what's being said is that Timothy is to regard the church as God regards it. He is to imitate the loving care of his Father in heaven. Turn the songbook here, but I was thinking as we sang a moment ago, Lord, speak to me that I may speak in living echoes of your tone. As you have sought, so let me seek your erring children, lost and lone. Well, Timothy could sing that, right? Lord, let me echo your tones in the way that I minister. Let me be as a father. Let me be as a brother. Let me be as a son. Let me display the loving care of the father. Let me be as Christ is to his brothers and sisters. Some need to be corrected. That may be especially what Paul's thinking of here, of the need for exhortation, of appeal to the conscience, to the heart. And nobody naturally likes to be rebuked. And to exhort those older than you is not easy. But Timothy, come, come at this ministry with the kind of love and humility that Christ works, that Christ has demonstrated. Again, it's a word for office bearers, first of all, but it's a word to all of us as God's people. We're to be careful with our relationships in the body of Christ, aren't we? We're to recognize the honor that God has bestowed upon each one, no matter male or female, no matter the age. To each one, there's a dignity and an honor in God's household. And that's a glorious thing. The church is to shine in that way that everyone matters. Christ would minister to every one of us. We all need the shepherd, and we all at times need correction. So that's the first thing, those first two verses where Timothy's called to minister to all, to relay it in a godly way. Notice, secondly, then he turns to the care of widows in the church. Verse 3, honor widows who are really widows. And again, now the Father above is calling us to act as he acts. And as you go through the word, I'm sure you know there's all kinds of things in the Bible about God's care for widows, right? 
Psalm 68 says, A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. And God's jealousy for widows, he says in Exodus 22, If you afflict them in any way and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And so widows are under the special care and protection of the Lord. That he would provide for them. He has provided for them. In the Old Testament, he provided he required tithe to be set aside out of which they could be cared for. He, he required those, those gleaning laws that we read of. You're to leave some of the produce behind so that those who are poor and widows could go out and glean and gather. It's interesting that when the Lord in Deuteronomy 16 speaks of the feast and appearing before the Lord with, with what he's given you, your, your food, and to rejoice before his face, he talks about the widows also shall rejoice with you. I, don't, I didn't look it up to see what it all means, but it appears to me the idea that you take along the widow with you to the temple and you, you provide for her to have a feast too before the face of God. She gets to share in the joy because God sets the solitary in families, the Bible says. Jesus himself brought great joy to widows. Remember when he raised the widow's son from the dead? What a gift, what a mercy. Jesus was upset that Pharisees devoured the houses of widows. It's interesting that in the days of the early church, in Acts 6, remember the, the, the office of deacon seems to, to come into being with the need of widows. There are some widows that are being overlooked. In the Old Testament, the prophets brought condemnation on Israel because they oppressed the widows. James tells us that true religion is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Well, you get the picture. It's very near and dear to the heart of God, the care of widows. Timothy is commanded here that the church is to honor widows, to consider their needs. Now, it's too often that widows uh, get neglected, right? Because they, maybe they get pushed off to the side. Maybe they're stuck at home and can't drive. Maybe... They're, they're not able physically to be at the center of the activity of the church, and they, they get forgotten. Maybe some are lying somewhere in, in ill health, and they get pushed out of the mind. And God says, honor them, remember them, care for them. And this includes financial support. Now, when he says, honor widows who are really widows, well, the, the word widow has the sense of, uh, of having no husband of being destitute. And so he says those who are really widows in the sense of being destitute care for them as a church. There are some who've been deprived of their husbands, but they have other family to care for them. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. Come back to that in our third point. But there are widows who have no one else, nothing else. And they need the care of the church to be supported Verse 5 says, Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. The widow has no one but God to turn to, learns to rely on him and to cry out to him and to trust in him. Her expectation is of the Lord. Day and night she cries out to him in her weakness and her loneliness. It's really a beautiful picture, isn't it, of, of one who, who waits upon the Lord God, the Christian widow. God is glorified through that. And we've all known godly women who exemplify that in their 
oldest years all alone but filled with confidence in God and joy in the Lord, living in obvious fellowship with him. And that's utterly distinguished, isn't it, from the other group. Verse 6, but she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. What a contrast between verses 5 and 6 here in our text. Two very different kind of widows. This widow in verse 6 is one who's not living for the Lord but for herself. She, she's frivolous. She's carefree. She's pleasure mad. She's self-indulgent. And it's a sad and it's an unfitting thing that here she is maybe coming into the last years of her life on earth and she's living as if she doesn't know the meaning of life. There's no soberness. She's dead. She's dead to the things that really matter. She's spiritually dead. She's like that, that seed that fell among the thorns. It's been all choked out now. And if we've known the widow who loves the Lord in her older years, so obviously we've also seen the other kind, haven't we? Outside the church. So frivolous, so self-indulgent. Without any sense that I'm about to stand before the face of God. How beautiful are the daughters of God who wait upon the Lord. We read in verse 7, And these things command that they may be blameless. You may be urging Timothy to command the church to care for widows. Or, or maybe both, but he's also commanding Timothy to teach the widows to be these kind of godly women, right? Who wait upon the Lord in prayer. The Lord takes away a husband. Then we say, Lord, help me to draw ever closer to you, to learn more and more, to walk in fellowship with you, to glorify you by waiting upon the God who gave me life. Let the church honor these widows, Paul says. These widows are to be honored. They are to be cared for. They are the daughters of God. It's to be the light of the church to imitate the care of the Father who has such regard and shelter and protection for these. Let the church be his arms. Deacons should be very watchful for the widows of the church. It matters very much to God. They're to be ministers of his compassion and his constant faithfulness. Maybe there's, I'm sure there's less financially needy widows in our culture than there was in Paul's day. But all of our widows need care, don't they? They need emotional and spiritual care. They need encouragement. They may need a ride to church. They may need help with the house. They certainly need friendship. True religion is to care for these. So the church has a blessed role. What a glorious thing in the body of Christ that it's not, you know, when people get older, when they're alone, when they can't contribute like they used to, now they get pushed off. Not in the church of Christ. No, they have a special place of honor in the hearts and the minds of God's people. We need to keep working at that and praying for that requires of us also self-denial and self-sacrifice. And we're not by the world encouraged in this kind of ministry at all. Politicians may pander to older ones to get their vote, but it's in the church that we find the self-sacrifice and the true love, the love of God in Christ. 
But then thirdly tonight, there's a calling for the church to recognize the place of the family in caring for their widows. That's the final thing. In Reformed theology, we've come to speak of sphere sovereignty, which is a helpful way of looking at it, that that God has given to different spheres a certain authority and responsibility. The, the church has a sphere, the family has a sphere, the, the local magistrate, the government has a sphere, and these all are invested by God with a task and with a responsibility. And so no one sphere is to lord it over another sphere. It's not the government's job to come in here tonight and to tell me what to preach. But it's not my job to go to to the government and to try to take over their offices tomorrow. Now, the church has a unique sphere, actually, because the church has the word that informs every sphere. So the pulpit may rightly preach to the family and home. The pulpit may rightly preach to the governing authorities because we have the word of God. But it's not our elders' jobs to go enact legislation or to take over the courts. That belongs to a different sphere. It's not the family's role to administer the Lord's Supper at home. You see different spheres. And now Paul is saying here in our text that that though the church has a role to honor widows, verse 4 and verse 8 we're looking at now, verses 4 and 8, but verse 4 says, But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Now, we could obviously note that the church's mission and ability to engage a host of ministries would be greatly curtailed if every widow that belonged to the church had to be cared for by the church, right? That'd be a full-time thing, and the church would have difficulty maybe getting out into the mission field and other things. But that's not even really the primary reason God's saying this, is it? He's saying that children and grandchildren should care for mothers and grandmothers, for widows, because it's the right thing to do, repaying care to those who cared for them, and because it honors God. God has organized the world in a marvelous way, hasn't he, that family may care for each other. It's interesting to think, isn't it, that that these institutions that, that God wove into the fabric of creation... God still uses after the fall into sin, right? Work. Curse came, but God still uses work. Marriage. Marriage before the fall, but even after the fall now by God's redeeming grace. Marriage is a partnership for his kingdom. And also family here, right? Even after sin comes to the world, God uses family. Before the fall into sin, there was an aging of the body, right? And the breakdown and the weakness, But after sin comes in, the curse comes in, and there is this increasing weakness now in our life, now God uses the family in a a blessed way. The home is used for teaching and instructing little ones, nurturing the children. Children are born to parents, and parents care for them. But then as parents grow up and grow older, then the children are to care for the parents. Let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, to give back, to make a real return to the ones who cared for them. Now, why would Paul have to say this if it was our ordinary, natural inclination? 
But he knows that apart from the grace of God, we're part of that brutal and self-seeking world that he speaks of in 2 Timothy 3. Pleasure seekers who have no time for parents and grandparents. And so he needs to remind us It's not the natural inclination. It's only to be learned in Christ. William Hendrickson reminds us of a a Dutch proverb which says that it often seems easier for one poor father to bring up ten children than for ten rich children to care for one poor father. Why is that? Let them learn to show piety at home. The lesson of self-denial and self-sacrifice, of putting one's own ambitions and pleasures and recreations aside, must be learned. Someone has commented, it's when children have children, they begin to learn, right? Oh, wow, my parents did all that for me? But who can teach us? Let them learn to show piety. Well, who can teach them piety at home? Well, Jesus can. The Lord Jesus can. You know, whenever you think about this and caring for aging parents or grandparents, many of you have been through that or are in that, and and obviously it requires a great deal physically, emotionally, time-wise, and so forth. But one glorious encouragement is to go to the cross of the Lord Jesus and see the Savior there nailed to a cross. Suffering the curse and yet turning from his own suffering to minister to his mother and provide her a home in his disciple John's home. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that remarkable? And then to say to ourselves, that's my Savior. That's my Lord. Who can teach me to show piety at home? Well, he can. Christ honored his mother and provided for that widow gladly. Can't he make us glad to provide for needy parents and grandparents? Can't he teach us the joy and privilege to care for those whom God has put in our lives? Can't he teach us to respect and recognize what our parents did for us? Can't he save us from the coldness and cruelty of the spirit of this age? Who would treat the aged as useless and unwanted? Indeed he can, he does. Church is a marvelous example, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing to see. Everywhere you go in faithful churches of Christ, you can find out. It's not always in the front cover of the church, but if you dig into the lives, you find people who are busy caring for parents, caring for grandparents, caring for an uncle or an aunt in ways that would amaze the world if they only knew Christ can teach us that the promise is true. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long upon the earth. Christ can teach us that ministering honor to those whose strength weakens, glorifies. And Christ can teach us that it's our joy to do what is good and acceptable before God, verse 4. Do it unto God, it glorifies God. Christ can do all that. 
Paul ends the text so strong there in verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. To refuse to care for one's own, and especially one's own household, is to deny the faith. Because Christ has called us to love one another and to imitate his love. If we don't do that, we, we deny the thing we confess. If we turn a blind eye to our nearest neighbors, it's not pleasing to God. In fact, Paul says it's worse than an unbeliever. He said, well, how is it worse than an unbeliever? It's worse than an unbeliever because the believer has the enlightenment. The believer has the understanding. The believer has heard the command to love. The believer has resources in the gospel for doing these things. The, if one who professes Christ now doesn't do this, it's worse than an unbeliever. We know the one who was infinitely rich, who became hellishly poor to make us who were eternally poor, eternally rich by his death on the cross. We know the message of self-sacrifice. We know the pathway of self-denial. We have a Savior who has walked it. We've been born again by his Spirit to set us free from selfish idolatry, to put on Christ Jesus. Verse 8 is a word that should convict us of the places we failed. We discover that dishonoring our parents is not just what we did when we were children, but it happens later in life too, doesn't it? We have spoken in ways that did not honor those who are older. We have not cared for those that didn't have time for them. We count our own lives more important. It brings us, doesn't it, to confess our sin before Jesus Christ. To acknowledge our own guilt. And to seek for his grace. Who, though we are so desperately needy and so desperately broken, we have nothing naturally to contribute to his kingdom, yet he has loved us. In our weakened condition, he has honored us. He's not ashamed to call us his brethren. He gave his life for us, and he forgives us, and he will teach us a good way. May we be of help to each other in the task as a church. And reminding each other of family obligations, encouraging each other in that. In our day and age of government programs and all the blessings that nursing home care can be, we ought never to give up our own responsibility of love. But we ought to pray to the Lord Jesus, will you teach me how to show piety at home? And in that way, then the church becomes a beautiful reflection of heaven. The love of the Father above shines down and through each of his people. So we live in an increasingly brutal world. Where our grandson shoots his grandmother. Where people forsake one another. Our personal ambitions and recreations leave no time to minister the care needed. May we as the church shine brightly, increasingly so, 
And we're the people of the Lord. And we're marked by his family love. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, for its instruction. We acknowledge we need it and we need the forgiveness of our Savior. For we have failed, Lord, in the basic things you teach us about love and honor. We pray, God, that you help us as a congregation and as individual family members and as office bearers called to minister to all the flock, that we would learn the humility, the way of honoring those around us. We thank you that Christ is here to teach us. We pray he'd do it by his word and spirit, and that we, Father, might reflect your love. In Jesus' name, amen.